0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Hey everyone, welcome into another Pipeline podcast. We are one player short today. Tim McMaster along with Jim Callis as Jonathan Mayo takes a week off. He's actually... Kind of cool. He's in Israel with a lot of the Israel baseball team for the upcoming World Baseball Classic. They're doing a tour over there. You can read a lot about that uh, on MLB.com, and Jonathan's also been active on uh, social media about it. But he gets a week away from us, Jim.
2: Yeah, he does. he's uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, Tim. I, with technology, I don't understand why we couldn't just patch Jonathan in via Skype or something. I, I, I just think he didn't want it bad enough. He could have been part of his podcast if he wanted
1: I think you're absolutely right. And more to that point, you were not outside of Chicago this week. You're on the road as well, uh, outside of Washington, D.C., getting ready for the Rookie Career Development Program. It's an annual program in, I think, Leesburg, Virginia is the location. I went there a few years back, but, Jim, obviously you're there year after year. Teams send some of their top prospects, basically, to that location and they kind of get trained on just being a professional and being a major leaguer how to cope with the media how to cope with all sorts of different things that maybe they hadn't even thought of things that will come with with big contracts and and dealing with agents and dealing with everything, and there's a lot of fun involved as well as, as Major League Baseball tries to make it a fun weekend, but you're there now. I think the program officially gets underway on Friday, but maybe go in-depth a little more, Jim, on, on what the RCDB is all about, other than what I just said.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's a joint program by MLB and the MLB Players Association. You hit the highlights pretty well. Each team sends you know, roughly three to five guys to, to here, and it is in Leesburg here at the, the Lansdowne Resort. And it's it's just it's kind of some mentoring for guys who have either just gotten to the big leagues or just about to get to the big leagues. They actually do a a Latin program for some of the Latin American players today. Um and then I think they have their first meeting with everybody here, uh, right about I it may actually be going on now for all the for all the players kind of get introduced, but they'll do stuff they they'll they'll talk about making the transition to the majors, dealing with the media. How to take care of your body, knowing the rules, stuff like healthy relationships off the field, uh, leadership and development, uh, respect and inclusion. There's all kinds of things going on, and it's just to help ease the transition uh, to the big leagues. It's it's very similar. I mean, I think the. NFL has a program that seems like that gets a lot more publicity. Um, you will not have anybody here uh, emulating Chris Carter and telling these guys they need to find a fall guy. Uh, NFL program doesn't always get great publicity, uh, but it's just every time I've, I've talked to players about this, and, and we I've been coming here for a number of years, and Jonathan's been even more of these than I have. Everybody appreciates the opportunity to do this and talks about how it is really helpful for them. It's basically. You know, preparing these guys so they can focus on their play on the field and not fall into some pitfalls, or maybe they had some questions uh, that they can have answered. It's just going to make that transition all the more easier. So it's kind of a kind of a fun event. It was funny because uh, I, I got dropped off. I usually come in a day early and leave a day late because my my parents. I grew up in this area. My parents are here, so I get to see them. And there was a pickup truck, and it looked like a couple players. I'm like, well, why would players be here in a pickup truck? But it was it was, and I saw Brett Phillips of the Brewers. And I said to him, I said, guy was like, did you drive here? Because aren't you from Florida? And he's like, Josh Hader. And I forget, Josh Hader is a Baltimore kid, which isn't too far away. So Josh Hader, uh, I guess, drove down in his bright red pickup truck. And and he and Brett Phillips have been out somewhere. So I already ran into some guys even before it started.
1: Nice. And I know Second City, the uh, comedy group out of Chicago, is always a part of it as well, and they make it a lot of fun and doing some skits with the players as well. It's a good event overall, and next week on the podcast, we'll kind of look back on the RCDP because there's always a, a few players... They really stand out as far as when you get a chance to talk to them. I know, uh, and Jonathan usually gets to talk to them, guys that are kind of already uh, stars behind the microphone. So we'll find out who really shine this weekend next week on the podcast. All right, lots to get I, you to. Yeah, I this-
2: missed it, too. I was going to say, I missed it last year. I had a reason I couldn't yep. come. I, don't, I will not promise you I will gush about anybody as much as Jonathan gushed about Malik Smith uh, <laughs> a year ago. But uh, I'm, I'm sure I will have, so I will be enthusiastic. But I, I don't know if I can live up to the the Malik Smith standard of just being overwhelmingly that gushing like Jonathan was a year ago.
1: He, he was engaging, that's for sure, a year ago. I actually end up editing down these videos here at MLB.com, so I get to listen to most of them. So maybe there'll be a Malik Smith in the group. Uh, we will find out over the next couple of days. Lots to get to in this podcast. Uh, most improved farm systems. Jim, you wrote about that on MLBpipeline.com. Jonathan has the top 10 prospects ready to surge in 2017 as well. We'll get into that. I want to start, though, with uh, the annual MLBPipeline.com poll, I guess, of uh, front office executives, including some general managers. You guys poll on the best pitcher and hitting prospects from their point of view. And it's never really surprising who, who comes out on top of these things. But 2016 into 17 edition, Andrew Benintendi, number one hitter, along with Alex Reyes, I think maybe Benintendi a little surprising, more surprising than Reyes. Um, but did it take you back at all that he was? I know we all know how good he is, but that he was considered the top hitting prospect among the front offices.
2: Well, he was really the top overall prospect. Reyes was a top pitching prospect, but when I think Jonathan, who kind of headed this story, talked to 20 people, and for and the first question is just top overall prospect, and Andrew Benintendi got half those votes. No, I mean. I know, you know, and Tim, as you know, I do our Red Sox list, and we, we, it seemed like we were talking about a lot of Red Sox prospects at the winter meetings because there were a lot of trades going on. And before Yon Mankata got traded to the White Sox, Yon is, is number one on our list that, that was pretty much created in July. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the guys who were on that list and did not lose rookie eligibility, Mankata moved up a couple spots because I think Bregman was actually number one when we revamped the list for the last time in July, Alex Bregman. But, um, you know, I always, before they they had the Chris Sale trade, kind of going back and forth, who would I rank number one in the Red Sox system? Would would it be Mankata or would it be Benintendi? And I could see the arguments for both. And and, just so people know, so Jonathan surveyed 20 GMs and prospect uh, evaluators. Ten people voted for Andrew Benintendi as the top prospects. Five for Yohan Mankata, three for Dansby Swanson, and two for Glaber Torres. And and, and I don't think this will give too much away, but we're working on our top 100 prospects list that will be out in January. And those are the top four guys we've discussed as well, not necessarily in that order. But with Ten- Ben and Tenney and Mankata, and I personally would vote for Mankata. Like, when it's close, I would kind of err on the side of ceiling, and I'll, I'll go for the Robinson Cano with more speed. But Ben and Tenney, I think, has a higher floor. I think he's a better bet to hit than Mankata. He was certainly made the median impact when he got to the big leagues last year. And I know when I say that, I always feel like I'm selling Benintendi's ceiling short because Benintendi's got a really high ceiling, too. I mean, I think this is a guy who could hit you know, 280, 300, 20 homers, 20 steals, and play center. Now, he won't play center in Boston because of Jackie Bradley Jr., but he's capable of playing center. So I, I could, while I would personally go for a little bit more ceiling in Mankata and maybe a little less floor, I think Benintendi's a fine pick. And, and I'm not really surprised – like I said, I mean, I, I think if you're if you were looking for a combination of the guy who who combined high floor with high ceiling, Benintendi probably is your best bet.
1: And from rumors that were kind of swirling when the Chris Sale deal went down, it sounded like from a Red Sox perspective, Ben Benintendi was the guy they wanted to hold on to, and Mercado was the guy that they were uh, begrudgingly willing to to give up in that trade, and that's how it went down. Now, who knows if that's actually the case, but. You got that kind of impression. All right, how about Reyes? Because that seems like the more obvious pick as far as best pitching prospect.
2: Yeah, and that one was like, you know, Jonathan, again, I guess one person abstained. So there were 19 <laughs> people who voted on it. It was 15 for Reyes, three for Glasnow, one for Lucas Giolito. And I want to say I'm pretty sure those are our top three pitchers on the top 100 prospects list that is still being formed, so it's not officially locked in. You know, Giolito was our midseason pick. He, you know, he did not have the best 2016. Some guys have soured on him relatively, but no, I think Reyes was the easiest pick. While he's still young and he still needs to kind of fine tune his control, uh, you know, I think you could definitely say the same, same thing about Tyler Glass. Now, I just personally, I, I would have picked Reyes as well. I feel a little bit better about Reyes having the command to become an ace than Glass now. If I had to pick between the two. Um, you know, similar stuff. They both throw hard. I think Reyes throws a little bit harder. Um, both have good breaking balls. Reyes, yeah, The breaking balls are probably pretty close. I go back and forth. Um, changeups are third pitch for both guys. But uh, yeah, I, Reyes, that one didn't surprise me at all.
1: All right, so there's uh, you can read about the full list and all the guys who got votes on MLBPipeline.com, but Ben and Tenney, the top overall prospect, and Reyes, the top pitching prospect. How about most improved farm systems? And in this story, Jim, I guess you're covering over the last 12 months is basically the gist of this, and a couple of these teams are repeats Uh, So two straight years making it on the most improved farm system list. That's pretty impressive stuff. Uh, You have five teams uh, leading the way, and no surprise here, the New York Yankees and what they've done over the last 12 months. Um, A little bit through the draft, but mostly through some really good trades.
2: Yeah. and you're right. It was over the last 12 months. And I look at this from the standpoint of farm systems, like we don't have a new farm system ranking out. But like farm systems, if we ranked all 30 farm systems at the beginning of the year and all 30 at the end of the year, who had made the biggest jump? And it was it was actually interesting because you could have made a case for the White Sox. But I went Yankees, number one. They, had, they probably coming into 2016 ranked you know, you know, somewhere maybe in that 11 to 15 range. And now I think they have the best farm system. I think they have by far, not, not necessarily by far, but clearly the deepest farm system. I mean, the two trades everybody focuses on are the role Chapman trade, where they got Glaber Torres, who we just mentioned is in the discussion of the best prospects in baseball. For Andrew Miller, they got two former first-round picks from the Indians, Clinton Frazier and Justin Sheffield, who have both been in the top 100. You know, they made some other trades that weren't as splashy. They got, when they traded Carlos Beltran, they got the number four pick in the 2015 draft. Dylan Tate, whose star is dimmed a little bit, but still has a great arm. When they traded Brian McKinnon in November, they got Albert Abreu and Jorge Guzman, who, who can both just throw a ball through a brick wall. Um, you mentioned the draft. They got Blake Rutherford. I think that's going to be a steal with the 18th overall pick. And they also uh, had some guys in the system whose profiles have, have jumped significantly, guys like Miguel Andahar, who looked good in the Arizona Fall League. Chance Adams, who put up about as good as numbers as anybody in the minors in terms of pitching this year. And Jordan Montgomery, who I think gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, but, but might wind up being a number three or four starter in the big league. And, and this is the best the fire system has probably been in, in 25 years or so.
1: Impressive stuff. Uh, you, you mentioned the White Sox, and they're your next team. And really, if you titled the, the rebirth of the White Sox uh, minor league system, I think you could call it like two days in December. Because uh, that's basically where they turned it all around uh, at the winter meetings. Of course, the two big trails, big trades: first Chris Sale and then Adam Eaton. They've done other things, but that was really where things got turned around.
2: No, it, it was, and, and you know, we we it seemed like we talked at length on the podcast and in DC. But you know, I, I'll use my scanner line, and when, when when Chris Sale was on the block, and people would ask me, "Where's he going to go? Where are they going to get?" and I would always say, "I don't know where he's going to go," but honestly my guess is I'll be a little bit disappointed in the package they get for him because I just think it's going to be hard to get full value for a guy who's one of the best pitchers in baseball and might have the best you know, team-friendly contract in baseball. And they got great value for him because they got Yohan Mankata, who we just discussed. And I, and I would still vote personally for Yohan Mankata as the best prospect in baseball. They got one of the probably top five pitching prospects in baseball, five or ten pitching prospects in the game in Michael Kopech. They got a five-tool center fielder in Luis Alexander-Basabe, and they got a – Reliever who can hit 100 miles an hour, and Victor Diaz, and then, so I mean, that trade I thought was equitable, um, and that could, if, if Makata and Kopech especially come close to reaching their potential, that'll be a great trade for the White Sox. I, I'm still surprised, Tim. Uh, it's not even been quite a month that they traded Adam Eaton, who had a really good year, but if you if you're trying to quantify his value, you're placing a lot of faith in defensive metrics, and they got Lucas Giolito, who some you know still think is the best pitching prospect in baseball. Ronaldo Lopez, who some people who've soured on Giolito think Lopez is even better than Lucas Giolito, and a first-round right-hander from last year's draft and Dane Dunning. So those were two tremendous trades. I think they have more trades in store, and, and those trades kind of overshadowed the draft where they got Zach Collins and Zach Birdie in the first round, Alec Hansen in the second round, a couple of really interesting outfielders and in Jameson Fisher and Alex Call. Uh, you throw in Charlie Tilson, who they traded for in July, 12 of the top. 15 prospects in their system weren't even in the system, in the organization at the beginning of 2016.
1: All right, next up on the list, the San Diego Padres. And I think you have to give a lot of credit to A.J. Preller. Here's a guy who took over in San Diego and kind of went all in to win right away, made a bunch of trades to bring in players, uh, signed free agents, and the Padres were going to go for it at the major league level. It kind of blew up in their faces in one year and – Rather than try to kind of salvage things, I think you got to give him credit for kind of packing it in and saying, okay, we're going to go the other direction. And since that time, that system has really gotten a lot better. A lot of credit goes to him and, and to the Red Sox for sending a lot of their talent to San Diego.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're right. And, and you know, this article isn't even counting the guys they got, You know, primarily Manny Margot. Uh, in the uh, in the Craig Kimball trade from the from the previous November. But yeah, I think that's fair. I also think that you could if you want to be a little cynical about it, you could say that one of the reasons the farm system is so improved is that he gutted it. AJ Keller gutted it
1: fair enough. For the
2: most part before he built it back up. But you really I, I wrote in the story and I meant this, you could do a top thirty prospects list of only guys who weren't in the organization coming into the season because they've added so many guys. I mean they had three first round picks in the draft Cal Quantrill, Hudson Potts, Eric Lauer. They got some high upside guys like Buddy Reed and Reggie Lawson and Mason Thompson after that. They spent more internationally than anybody. They gave seven-figure bonuses to guys like Adrian Morhone, Jorge Ona, Luis Almanzar. I could go on and on there. On the trade front, they kind of stole Fernando Tatis from the White Sox in a deal for James Shields. They, they – they, Wow, uh, you can you can literally say the word stole. I guess with Anderson Espinoza in a in a disputed trade with the <laughs> Red Sox for Drew Pomerantz. they got Josh Taylor in a trade uh, Josh Naylor, uh, and I spoke there Josh Naylor, who's a slugger from the Marlins, in a deal that also had injury repercussions. They got Chris Paddock from the Marlins in a separate deal, and they got the first three picks in last year's in last year the you know, only a month ago uh, Rule Five Draft and Miguel Diaz, Luis Torrens, and Alan Cordova. So they've just added in terms of sheer volume they probably have added more quality prospects than anybody because they've just been so aggressive on every front.
1: And then I'll combine the last two teams you have, Jim, the Brewers and the Reds, both in the National League Central, both on this list for the second straight year. Um, I think when you talk about the Reds, I think people overall, Reds fans, disappointed in what they got for a role as Chapman just because of the circumstances there and the fact that they didn't hang on to him and, and wait to maybe get more later, and they traded him in the offseason last year. But other than that, they've done a nice job of trading away their players, uh, obviously a lot of veterans in that organization to bring in younger talent, and the Brewers have done a little bit of everything.
0: Yeah,
2: well, you know, it's funny with the Reds. They made the list last year, not so much because of the Chapman trade, and, and, and I'll just say, I mean, it's never good to be in a position where you feel like you have to trade a guy because you don't get full value for him. They got a decent package for him, but not quite with, not anywhere close to what the Yankees got for him. The last year they made the list based on trading Johnny Cueto, Mike Leake, Todd Frazier. And this year they, the only real trade they made was they gave up Jay Bruce and they got Will Max Hotel was the only prospect they got in that deal. But what they did was they had a great draft, uh, they got Nick Senzel with the number two pick. They got a tremendous athlete in Taylor Trammell. They got one of the, you know, arguably the best college all-around catcher in Chris Oakey. Continue to get some, some lower picks. They got T.J. Friedel as a non-drafted free agent. And they also went heavy internationally getting guys like Al- Alfred Rodriguez for $7 million and Vladimir Gutierrez for $4.75 million. The Brewers, it was more just kind of continuing, you know, to draft and trade well. You know, before the season started, it seems like it was a year ago, and I guess it was almost a year ago, they traded for guys like Eson Diaz and Jacob Nottingham. During the trade deadline, they, they traded for Lewis Brinson, Luis Ortiz, Phil Bickford. At the winter meetings, they picked up Mauricio Dubon in the in the, uh, the the Thornburg trade with the Red Sox. And they continued to raffle too. I really like Corey Ray. I like the bat potential of Lucas Erceg. And they had a guy, you know, just internal guys. The guy whose stock just soared this year was Brandon Woodruff, who wound up leading the Miners with 173 strikeouts after being more of an afterthought coming into the year. So the Brewers. Uh, yeah, we have not ranked the farm systems yet. I would be shocked if when we do, it'll be a group effort, so it's not just my call. I'll be shocked if the Yankees aren't number one, but the Brewers will not be far behind them.
1: So five systems that are really on the riser have already risen among the ranks of, of depth of systems and overall talent. All right, top ten prospects ready to surge in 2017. Jonathan Mayo came up with ten of them. I'm going to get your thoughts on a couple of them, Jim, uh, but I'll run down the list first of all in alphabetical order. This is what Jonathan came up with. Luis Alexander Basabe, who we talked about with the White Sox. They just got him in the trade. Walker Bueller, right-hander for the Dodgers. Ryan Castellani, right-hander for the Rockies. Max Freed, the left-hander now with the Braves. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., infielder with the Blue Jays. Jemai Jones with the Angels. Uh, James Caprillion, the right-hander with the Yankees. Carson Kelly, backstop with the Cardinals. Thomas Zapuki, left-handed pitcher with the Mets. And finally, Leody Tavares of the Rangers. Uh, so there's 10 guys. Do you have a uh, a favorite pitcher? And then we'll do a favorite hitter in this mix.
2: It's tough because I like a lot of these guys. So I'm, uh, I'm, I am I will speak for, for – I will take the time of two people. I will mention two pitchers. I, I, I pretty much like all the guys on this list, but the two pitchers who jump out the most to me are Walker Buehler, who, who's barely pitched in pro ball. He had Tommy John surgery shortly after the – Dodgers took him in the first round of the 2015 draft out of Vanderbilt. He had elbow issues that spring. I think if he'd been healthy that spring, he would have been a top 10 overall pick fairly easily. This is just a guy who, who's who got four solid or, or better pitches, Tim, and can really pitch. I think he's going to move fast now that he's healthy. I really like him. And the other pitcher I really like, I guess, and I like everybody on this list, but the other pitcher who, who really jumps out at me is James Caprillian who was also hurt this year. He made three starts in the, in the Florida State League. He had a strained flexor muscle in his forearm, so he missed the rest of the year. He came back, and there's on the fall league, looked really good. And this is a guy who was a first-round pick, him based on pitchability, and he's had increased velocity since he got into pro ball. He's been You know, he was a guy who kind of sat on 88, 92 in the spring of his draft year, but he had a, a solid four pitch repertoire. He's been a lot at 94, 97 in pro ball, so the pitchability's is still there, and the stuff's gotten even better. And if he can stay healthy, he can make an impact with the Yankees very quickly as well.
1: Kind of a common theme among the pitchers on this list. A lot of them coming off recent injuries, which makes a lot of sense. You get healthy and then you surge in your next minor league season or next full minor league season. All right, how about a hitter or two?
2: Um, well, I may go three here. Um, okay. There's not I'll, a I'll lot of th-
1: yeah. There's only one, two, three. And there's four, or
2: five on here. Yeah. I, I just I like this whole list. I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a guy that when we do our top 100 list is going to shoot way up that list when people see it. He, I think what's impressive, we knew he had power, we knew he had some hitting ability, but he had a really, really strong pro debut. You know, I don't know if he's a third baseman in the long term, but he was better at third base than people thought. And I think we could really be talking to him by the end of 2017. He's one of the best prospects in baseball. I think Carson Kelly uh, of the Cardinals, in my mind, I think he might be the best catching prospect in baseball uh, for me, best all-around catcher catcher in baseball. really like the defense, the receiving, the throwing, the bat's starting to come. He's a guy who's only been catching really full-time for three years. And then Leody Tavares is another guy uh, who, who just made his pro debut last year, uh, a highly touted international signing from 2015, very athletic switch hitter. And I think like Vladimir Guerrero, we're going to look at him at the end of 2017 and say, boy, this guy's one of the best prospects in baseball, too. So very good list by Jonathan, a lot of exciting guys on that list. I I could, I could pretty much extol the virtues of all ten guys on that list because it's a really good list.
1: All right, good stuff. I love it when you guys agree. Well, I I love it when you disagree as well. Which doesn't always well, happen.
2: It's, no, it's, 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 a rare, it's And you can't tell Jonathan. I'm only agreeing with him and giving him credit since he's not on the podcast.
1: Yeah, so. he's, not, he's not here to defend himself. You could have really thrown him under the bus. All right, well, that pretty much does it as far as this Pipeline podcast. But I know, uh, Jim, you wanted to kind of mention – Uh, a scout in the industry who tragically passed away as we record this just today. If you want to talk a little bit about Stan Zielinski.
2: Yeah, about half hour before I got on the show, I I got a text from somebody telling me that that Stan Zielinski, who's a scout with the Cubs, had died suddenly today, and I was just shocked. I mean, Stan, a lot of people in baseball, uh, know Stan, he's an area scout based in Illinois. Um, I mean, before I talked about what a great scout, he was a great guy, just a super guy. I think everybody knew Stan, loved him, got along with everybody. He was the Cubs scout of the year for 2016. He was the scout who signed Kyle Schwarber. Um, he had, in the past, signed guys like Cliff Floyd. He'd signed Jeff Samarja, which wasn't the easiest guy in the world to scout because he was also, as people remember, a wide receiver at Notre Dame. And you had to figure out what he might be when he went full-time to – Baseball signed countless other big leaguers. Um, just inducted into the Midwest League or Midwest Scouts Hall of Fame, uh, I think, a month ago. And, I, and, you know, it's obviously sad whenever somebody dies. And I knew Stan, and it made the news very tough. And it made it tougher because, too, I talked to him a week ago. I mean, he was a guy I, I talked to fairly regularly about players in the area. And it was funny because I talked to him in the fall when we were doing our, our draft top 50 that came out at the beginning of November, I mean, at the beginning of December. And Stan, you know, a great guy. It occurred to him. He, he wanted to call and tell me, hey, I know he wasn't on the top 50, and I can't remember if we talked about him, but keep an eye. On him. There's a pitcher at Iowa Western named Dan Tillow, really athletic, you know, been in Kentucky a lot. He just, you know, wanted to tell me, hey, keep this guy on your radar. You know, Stan just, I, he loved baseball, and I mean, he did a great job. He tried to help me do a good job. I know he helped a lot of other people, and just, very, very sad news. I, I, I still, I mean, I found out, Tim, literally, I think not even quite an hour ago, like right before we came on to do this podcast, and I'm still just crushed because I talked to him a week ago and, and had no idea. I, I think it was, I'm not even sure exactly what happened. Uh, you know, the scout had told me about it, said he thought he'd heard something about blood clots from some kind of surgery, but just totally stunned and just a, a terrible loss. I, my, my heart's out to his family and the Cubs, and I don't think that there's anybody new Stan who, who just didn't really enjoy talking to him. What a great guy, and, and, and also a great scout.
1: Yeah, just terrible news. And like you said, our thoughts are with his family and, and all his friends, of course, across. Uh, the the game of baseball and the Chicago Cubs. All right, that's going to bring this Pipeline podcast to a close. Next time, we will have the return of Jonathan Mayo, and we'll look back on the rookie career development program. We'll talk a little bit about Jonathan and his trip back to Israel. So it'll be a lot of fun that time. Definitely tune in. This has been the Pipeline podcast for Jim Callis. I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next week.